Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met a man out of the tombs, a man of, with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with loud voice said, We have you, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for I am many. He begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now, there's a great herd of pigs that was feeding there on the hillside. And he begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave permission. And the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd numbered about 2,000. And they rushed down, down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now the herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and he saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had a legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not permit him to do so, but said to him, Go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Well, good morning. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks, you know that we've been working through the book of Mark and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And who is this Jesus? And this morning, we are stepping into a place, a, a world of captivity. It's, we're going to be looking at situations where there's a man who is captive to the demonic. There's a woman who's captive to disease, and, and yes, another man that is captive to despair. It, it's a captivity that, that locks on and wants to give us a message that there just is nothing that, that really will unlock those places. They're just inescapable. And the main player we're looking at this morning is, is a man who was lost and helpless, his home is lived among the tombs. His companions, they're just death and demons. Demons that torment day and night. The demonic keeping him alive long enough so that they can fulfill his purpose, 
but not so long, not so tormenting so to such a degree that he will finally end his life and, and end his living hell. Because the de- demonic's purpose is, is not just solely rested in this man. They also want to deliver the, the sound of the demons that a whole village, a whole city will, will hear. He, they wanted to possess the village that was nearby. Holding them in a, in a different captivity than the man's, their captivity, just constant reminders of fear. Fear that they will hear day and night. And, and the villagers had done their best to try to control this, this man, this demonic. They had, they had taken their, their shackles and their chains and they had done their best to bind him, to, to close him down. And yet, their best attempts had, had come up empty. They had proved futile. He, he would just break the chains as if they were just made of straw. There was nothing that they could ultimately bind up, the one that tormented. But even if their success had come to confine him, that, that really wouldn't have protected them from what they heard were told in Scripture night and day. They heard the shrieks reminding them that what they feared was never far away. It was always there, always heard. The voice of the tormented, he that would cut himself, he would be cut, cut and bleeding, shrieking. And then the voice of the tormentors, wanting the villagers to know that what they had done to him, they could also do to them. And so they lived surrounded in this whole context of fear that, that never left. And that, in truth, is the language of the demonic. It's the language that, of captivity and fear that constantly shouts, wanting to keep it front and center in our lives, threatening and, and unsettling, the, talking about the calamity that, that might strike or the death that comes that no one would have expected or the, the injury that will disable the defeat that, that never will change. It'll just be that's, that's what the future is. That's what your reality is. And, and when the shouting should stop, if it stops long enough, then, then it's time for the whispers to come in, taking the place of the loud voice. They just whisper in the other times when we think that the worst is past. We've gotten past the, the worst of the crisis that's come, and, and yet the whispers that come into our lives heard in reminders that how, of how inadequate we are or how unsettled life will be. Spoken when the worst is past, how unsafe we'll be. B- because that's what the demonic does. It, it comes to unsettle and, and to plant fear and to rob hope. The whispers that speak in that that rob rest and and say there is no peace that can come and those chains binding not just him but binding you and me wanting us to believe that these chains will always be with us they'll always rattle and as we're told in this story it's into the demonic that that jesus comes 
And it appears to be a, a confrontation that, that takes place along a lake, lakeside. But the truth is, is the, actually, it really is about a victory that is taking place in the heavenlies. In, in an unseen place where the battle is, it actually is won. And in this story, we have a reminder that, that we too in the lakeside of our lives where life is unsettled and uncertain and, and fear wants to reign, where the demonic wants to insert himself into our lives, that we need to be reminded that the, the victories that we can be given have been fought and are being fought in the, the heavenlies by Jesus. And as we look at the scene, we're invited into a picture where some men are looking on. They're watching their pigs, we are told. And in that place, they would soon be given box seats to a confrontation that is going to take place that will just rock their world. It'll, it'll unsettle them completely. And we're not told when, when the story that was unfolding first drew their attention, but I would think it was... Likely, as they watched this boat moving towards shore, and they knew what that meant because they had seen it time and time again. They saw as the boat moved closer that this man who would rush out and bring destruction and injury on those that would come. And I I wonder if the, the herdsmen, if they looked, if they watched an attack that would soon come. I wonder, did they yell out and they, they call to the ship and say, back off, back out, out to sea, back out in the lake where it's safe? Or did they yell out a warning to t- take up, take up something to defend? And as they watched this man rushing in, to their amazement, they, they watched something that they didn't think they would possibly see. It was the unthinkable. Because as he runs, looking what they think is going to be destruction, he suddenly breaks and he falls, and he falls before the man who stands in front of him. There are other spectators to the scene. There are the disciples, the disciples that are watching front row center. They're watching as coming at them is a man of supernatural strength. He's naked and he's screaming. His body is scarred and it's, it's bloody. His hair a dirty, tangled mess. The chains are rattling. The, the limbs are flailing. The voice is screaming and it coming at them is something that is unimaginable. And if I'm one of the twelve, I'm grabbing the closest available oar and getting ready to swing it because what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is something beyond anything I have seen. His voice tells me that. It appears and should be the voice of a man, but as we'll later see, it's not the voice of a man. It's something, a voice of someone far more powerful, someone far more significant. It's the voice of the demonic. His voice loud and threatening, and the man's voice silent. Because the demons had stolen the man's voice, he, he didn't have a voice, he, didn't, he wasn't able to say what he needed and what he wanted, so he let his feet do that. He let his feet speak what his voice could not, and he comes and he rushes out to, to the one before them. It brings them to the feet of Jesus. And, and while the voice 
of the demonic doesn't fully capture it because it's actually not the voice just of a demon because the voice heard is actually just a spokesman for other voices. We're told, as, as we'll see, we are told that when he sees Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what do you have to do with me? And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And as Mark points out, and his readers initially would, would fully understand, he's writing to the Romans. And so the Romans would fully understand when he speaks the word legion of what that would mean. Because for the Romans, a legion was a contingent of several thousand soldiers. Some would say up to 6,000 soldiers. And the point is that the voice being heard is not a demon and his one or two close companions. It's, it's a greater number who have taken possession of this man. And if we go by the number of pigs that we'll later see in the story, if we go by that, that are going to be taking their cliff dive, it is, we're talking 2,000, 2,000 pigs. And we don't know if there's a one-to-one correspondence of pigs to demons. But what we do know is this man's captivity was unbelievably frightening. That he was bound as bound could be. He could break the chains that would come upon him, but he could not break the chains that were within him. And then there was a third spectator to the sight, and that we know is Jesus, who unlike the herdsmen and unlike the disciples, he saw the scene unfolding before him in a completely different way than the rest. Because he had seen the man before he came to this side of the lake, he had told his disciples, that's where I'm going. They didn't know why. But Jesus had seen someone. And he didn't see the wild and hopelessly lost. He saw a life needing rescue. He, he saw captivity waiting and needing to be set free. And though he heard the voice of the demonic, he saw the man. And seeing that, he stepped in to defeat the demons that so long had held this man prisoner. And when Jesus speaks deliverance, this man sees what he so longed to see, so longed and wanted. And we need to see the same picture. And that is that there is no demonic whose power can stand before Jesus, whether they number one or whether they number 2,001. There's no power that can stand before Jesus. We need to see that. We need to understand that. That there is no captivity that Jesus cannot break. There is no imprisonment that cannot be opened. There is no power whose grip is too strong that he cannot break. There's no sin that's scarred too much that he cannot heal. Because Jesus is in name and in power the one before whom the demons must bow. Not will bow, they must bow. And as they make the declaration, his name is Jesus, the Son 
of the Most High God. It's in an ironic sense, it's actually the answer to what the disciples were asking at the end of chapter 4 when they looked at the seas and the, song, uh, and the storms calmed down. They say, who is this man? That even the seas and the winds obey him. Who is this man? And their answer is given by the demonic. He is Jesus, son of the most high God. All power is in his hands above whom there is no other, before whom none can stand. Alongside him, there is no equal. And what that says to us in the situations that our lives contend with is that nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And it's that Jesus is the same one who comes to you and me today with the same power to set us free from the things that torment and imprison us. A Jesus of all power. And the sad part as we unfold this, this part of the scripture is if, if, those, if only those in the village and the surrounding areas had looked long enough and listened long enough to understand that, to understand and see and invite Jesus into the places of their fear and of, of their emptiness. What they could have discovered. And yet, pulling from the story, that same truth is true for us. If we will only look long enough and stand long enough to see what God wants, wants and desires to do in our lives, if they had only lined up alongside themselves of Jesus, alongside the broken shackles and the broken chains, along the power that he demonstrated, just with a word, like us, lining Jesus up alongside the things that shackle us, that bind us. If, if they had only lined up their nakedness alongside the once naked, now fully dressed man, they could have seen the things that they had tried to cover over and hide could have been answered in the one who stood before them. The places we are desperate and uncovered And if only they had seen that their disturbed and unsettled lives lined up alongside the man they saw before them, now it was in his right mind that Jesus could accomplish the unimaginable, the places that unsettle us. And if they had looked long enough and listened long enough, they would have seen one that was a loving, all-powerful Savior who could have rescued them from everything that they had encountered, everything they needed. <laughs> but those weren't places that they chose to look. And instead, they, they pulled out their calculators and uh, assessed all the things that had been lost. 
For some, it was their possessions and their lifestyles, everything that was represented that had done the cliff dive. And they were now floating four trotters up. They sort of like, I invested in all that, and now it's gone. And yet, if they had tabulated correctly, if they had remained with Jesus long enough, they would have understood that the return on what they would gain would far exceed anything that they, they ever lost. They would have first understood that the, they would have lost the captivities of their fears, for the freedom from the places that they once couldn't go, the silence of torment that constantly rang day and night. All of that would have been gone. And that's just the thing that surrounded it. For if they had listened and looked long enough, they would have also discovered that the one who had done all this would provide far more than just these. They would have seen that the one who had conquered demons would not, uh, was not about to allow the demons to have the last word. He wasn't about to allow the demons to rob possessions and to take all the, the pocketbook that they have and just... Just let it implode to destroy their lives. And in the same way, you and I are to see a Jesus and invite this Jesus who stands before us into our world. Not as some good friend, Sunday school Jesus who, who hugs sheep and, and draws, hugs children, but at the same time, to see exactly that Sunday school Jesus who healed the blind, who made the lame walk, who called out demons and cast them out. It's that one, that Sunday school Jesus who, like children we are called to believe, who says, I have all power all over all things. that we need to strip away the sophistication and the intellectual filters that, that want to blind our hearts and to blind our eyes. And we are again called to believe in childlike faith. To see a Jesus who didn't open the tomb, he obliterated the, te- the tomb. Who didn't just take demons and tell them to go, he exploded the demons, throwing, in the, throwing them into a frenzy of, of cliff-diving pigs. Jesus, whose light ruptured the dark, who breathed life into the dead. Jesus, who with the command of his voice silenced the storms and put brakes on the winds. This Jesus... Not a story, but God Almighty, who has the power to do what is needed to be done in our lives. But the villagers, they chose not to embrace this Jesus because they were afraid. We're told later that they begged Jesus to go away. They begged the demon deliverer to go away. not as overtly as sometimes we do. But the result, not much different. Because sometimes we're afraid of what Jesus may ask of us. Afraid that we might lose things 
that would be of greater value than what he might provide. And in that, not understanding the, the incredible love that Jesus says he has for you and I. I wonder, as they came close to the scene that they were told about, how long it was before what they were experiencing began to ring true, that what they had been told was more than a story. When they didn't hear the grunt of the pigs that would give greeting, when they didn't hear the rattling of chains and the shrieking voice that would make the presence nor Uh, known, warning, stay away. When the crowd's voices just went silent because they were suddenly aware of an unnerving quiet that hadn't been there before. And up to them as they journeyed, up to then as they journeyed toward Jesus was, many of them would have gone with an undercurrent of unbelief because this story didn't make sense. This story was preposterous. It couldn't be true. But when they come to the scene that says their bewilderment, their curiosity of what they all went out to see suddenly turns to fear. Fear, we are told, that made everyone afraid. Fear, we are told in verse 17, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. The word is phobos or phobio, with the idea being is they were terrified to the point of flight. They wanted to get out of there. And you would think that fear would come because of the the domain in which they were walking. They were walking into the place of the demons and the tombs, but they weren't afraid of that. They weren't afraid of seeing vultures picking away at bones. None of those things were there. They were terrified because they saw the sight of the man clothed in in his right mind. Terrified because they had come upon the impossible they had come upon the scene of someone that had far more power than the power that they so feared. And so we are told in verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. It's an amazingly tragic story. They had learned to coexist with the one that actually wanted to destroy while rejecting the one that had the power to free. They were so used to the sounds and the the smells of imprisonment that they wanted to return into what they knew. They just wanted to continue doing life, doing the, the normal things, even if that life wasn't working, even if that life wouldn't remove the fear even if that life held them prisoner, running to their jobs, looking after their family, occupying their money, and doing all the things that they chase to make things work. They wanted the normal. And Jesus offered them something that was far beyond normal. What he offered was a transformed life, a changed, completely changed life. And the villagers passed on what he offered. 
And the question for you and I this morning is the very same. Are you doing the same? Are you hanging on and making the same exchange, holding on to the normal that's defined you, that you've settled into, the investments that hold your heart, the lifestyle that you don't want anyone to interrupt? And in that, holding on, you are missing the greatest gift that you could possibly know, a life that can be transformed a life that can have sins forgiven and made completely new because of the cross of Jesus. The stories of the villagers and the man, the one who is imprisoned, set free. And those who refused to recognize that they were imprisoned held on to captivity. This account ends in a way that at first glance seems strange. Because it's interesting. When the demons ask of Jesus and beg of Jesus, send us over there, Jesus says yes. And when the villagers beg Jesus, just go. Jesus says yes. But the man whose life had been completely changed, the man who had Say, I, I don't want that life anymore. I don't want to go back to those places. I want to follow you. I want to come with you. And to that request, the seemingly only re- right request he was given, Jesus says, no. Instead, he says to the man, go home. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. The interesting thing about this verse and this this message that God gave to him, he said, go back to your village. Go back to your city. (laughs) But he then says, no, actually that's only partly what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to tell them what the Lord has done for you, the good things. But he says, no, I want you to go to the Decapolis, the ten major Greco-Roman cities in the region. And you're to tell your story of transformation. You're to seed that story into lives and let that transformation go far beyond. In the same way, Jesus has called you and I to seed our stories in the places he calls us. Oh, the, the stories may not feature the spectacular. They, they may, some may, of a life made new and set free. Others will have the story of just, I heard truth. It made sense to me. I, I wasn't involved in this addiction or that lostness, but it just made sense, and, and that truth stuck. But the truth of it is, the stories the stories that give us peace, the stories that give us hope, the stories that we hang on to, the stories that can be told to a neighbor or to a friend or to the stranger that God has written in your life. Tailor made for the person that will come along you. He doesn't, your neighbor may not need to hear the story of the spectacular. He may need just to see and to hear the story of 
a life at peace, of quiet assurance that what he sees and what he hears sticks. But here's the thing. If your story and my story are not told, how does the Decapolis know that? How do people around us have any sense of hope that their lives, they can also be made new? And as we go through the book of Mark, there are going to be times at various occasions we are just asking people to share their story of how they came to, came to Christ. We'll be hearing some of those stories from different members of our church family, how the reality of Jesus became known and took root in their lives. And in what you hear, let your voice, let your story be told as well. Because you never know whose life may be forever changed because of what you were able to proclaim to them. This morning, let's hear from the story of Tyria. So I grew up in a Greek Orthodox home where our mantle was full of icons. I was taught to do my cross for protection, and I definitely did not know what any of it meant. I was baptized as a baby, and it was just like a ceremonial thing that we did. Um, we went to church, and they did all the traditional things, but never did I learn what it was for, where it was from, how it could impact my life. It was literally just something that was around me, but didn't mean anything to me. And then I kind of, you know, did that on and off. And when I was 16, I, um, I was sent out to Vancouver to live with a friend of the family because I was making some bad choices in my life. And the family that I lived with was a Christian family. So we started doing things like praying around the table and I went, I started going to church on Sundays. We had a Bible study group, but even at that time, like the information was there, but it wasn't something I was exploring. It wasn't something that was really taking root in my life. Um, it was around me, but it didn't really impact me at that time. But when I was 18, I ended up at an alpha um, I don't really remember all the details around that time because I was kind of lost, but I went to Alpha and I asked a lot of really difficult questions and I got some answers, but again, my journey was really painfully long and uh, the Lord had to long, long suffer for me. So it took me a really long time. But what I can say is that when I took the Alpha course, I didn't see it through, but when I was there, Nikki Gamble did give a invitation to um, pray for the Lord to come into our life, for us to become aware of his presence in our life. And I did do that. And I did understand that I had sin in my life. And from that point forward, I didn't end up really grasping it until I was in my mid thirties. But from 18 forward, although I kept living the same lifestyle, I definitely had a growing conviction and I was seeking. I was really seeking a savior. I was seeking to change my life. Um, 
I did go to church on and off. I didn't really understand who Jesus was. I was just thinking a church, you know, it's a family, it's people that want to help me. And so I went on and off and I was really moved like during worship music and, but, but it wasn't until I got into the word that I really started to understand who Jesus was um, and to start going to church on a regular basis, having relationships with other Christians that people were pouring into me and really sharing the gospel with me um, and me starting to put those pieces together. So I would say, even though there was like all those prelude introductions, I really understood who Jesus was when I was in my mid-30s. So I'm now 41, and the way that knowing Jesus has impacted my life is so profound that I could literally talk about it for hours and hours. But the takeaway is that I want to live a life where I'm bearing fruit and where I'm surrounded by people that are bearing fruit. Um, he gives me a place to come to when I'm burdened and worried and restless and tired. Um, and he just, he, he provokes and challenges me to look at the way that I'm living. I fall, but he always picks me back up and meets me in those places. So the way it's impacted my life is really indescribable, but it is a very, very, very good thing. He keeps me away from temptations that lead me down a bad path. He surrounded me with a church family and the most amazing humans, and he's just given me purpose. So I am so blessed. Well, this morning you have seen how God can transform lives. He can change lives. Some, again, in the spectacular some in his just quiet way of working. We, we would love to be able to share your story of how you came to Christ, what Christ is doing in your lives. And, and we would invite you just to send little three, four-minute clips of, of what God has done to your life to the church. And that we may be able to use some of those in a broadcast, not just because of you, but because of whose lives could be changed because of it. But not just waiting for a tape. Go out into where life brings you this, this week. That your story may be known in your family, amongst your friends. That they may know this is the one who changes and transforms lives.